invite Tanner Crum to come up and open God's word for us today. Um, quick comment about why I'm not preaching. Um, I, take, I took this last week off. I'm really grateful for it. My brother and his wife and children came to see us. I'm really thankful for that. Um, four and a half years ago, we moved into our house, and I don't want to brag, but we got some pictures hung on the second floor for the first time in four and a half years. I don't want to have you invite me over to do your pictures because my brother had to do all of them for me. <laughs> Tanner Crum is the RUF campus minister here at Auburn and has served here now. You're in your fourth year. Uh, Tanner and Kelsey uh, worship with us. Their children are Spender and Heston. And Tanner has uh, preaches Monday nights at Dudley Hall and God's uh, people come and hear his word preached on the campus. And Tanner is one of the missionaries that our church supports. And so we're really grateful that he's willing to come and preach God's word for us today. Thank you, Tanner. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. And Happy New Year. Congratulations for making it this morning to worship God. Um, like Eric said, I'm the campus minister with RUF uh, here at Auburn, and um, I guess one way you could think about it is if, if Christ Prez were a restaurant, uh, RUF is the food truck that brings God's word onto um, the campus. And our, our mission uh, and vision for RUF is to not only reach students for Christ, but equip them for a lifelong service in God's kingdom, wherever he brings them, whatever job they're in, that they would be serving in God's kingdom years and years after college. Um, and so that's, that's what we do, and, and that's why we're here. And one thing um, that I just wanted to say real quick is um, uh, many of you know, some of you may not know, but our, our family experienced a house fire uh, over the summer, this summer. Um, and I just want to say thank you to this congregation specifically for the ways that you have cared for us and loved on us from the very moment um, the fire happened, our pastors showing up, caring for us, um, to meal trains for weeks and weeks afterward, childcare while we worked on insurance papers, um, the deacons for moving things into storage with us. Um, for those of you who donated clothes and um, to our relief fund, and just for simply being our friends. We're really thankful to be here, and it, it was amazing to see God being with us in his body. Um, and that's what you did for us, so thank you. Um, and uh, we thank you for supporting us as, as we minister on Auburn's campus. Uh, one of my favorite things that we do during the week, like Eric said, is our large group on Mondays nights um, where we just walk through a passage of God's word together. And what we did this semester was we went through John and we specifically focused on the I am statements of Jesus as told by John. And one of my favorite passages um, is in John 15 where Jesus says that he is the true vine. Um, this is Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples. If you read through the Gospel of John, the first 12 chapters cover three years of Jesus' ministry. 
And uh, from chapter 13 to 21, John covers one day. Um, so you get this, this bird's eye view picture of what's going on in Jesus' ministry. And then John really slows down. And he shows you what happened the night before Jesus was crucified. And he shows you what happens the day when Jesus was crucified and what happens in his resurrection. Um, and so this, this happens just after Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. And, uh, and in, verse, in chapter 14, he's just washed their feet and he says, rise, come and go with me. Then he says this in chapter 15, verse one. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, um, that we have this day to reorient our minds and our hearts and our souls to you, to know that all the things that this world has to offer us is nothing compared to what you offer us in your son and your love and your word and your commandments and your promises. Lord, I pray that you would bring your word to light this morning that you would sink it deeply into our minds and hearts, that we would leave here knowing you more. And Lord, that we would be connected to you this week, drawing from the nutrients of your love to live this life, to glorify you and bear fruit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So he tells his disciples to follow him out of the upper room. One thing, I, I always thought that, um, that this... This passage all took place in the upper room with his disciples, but that little verse tells us that Jesus is actually leaving with his disciples from the upper room, and they're walking from the heart of the city out into the countryside where they'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus is arrested. And what's interesting is that Jesus, as a rabbi, uh, rabbis would never use like we do up here, use metaphors that weren't visually available to you. So in this passage, 
The disciples and Jesus are walking and, and they're looking around and, and Jesus, you know, there would have been vine, vines of grapes just all around them through the city out into the countryside. And so Jesus would have been probably grabbing one of these vines and saying, look, I'm like this vine and you are like these branches. And I love that visual of Jesus saying, this, this is what I am like to you. And he brings up this word over and over again, abide, 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 remain in me like these branches are remaining in the vine. Stay in me, reside in me, abide, 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 stay in my love, abide in my love. What does he mean by this word abide? Um, well, abiding is a it's a dynamic word in the Greek and it has a few different meanings. I just want to draw three of them out here. One thing that it means is, is abiding in Christ means dwelling in his presence. Abiding in Christ means practicing his words. And abiding in Christ means holding on to his promises. So abiding in Christ means dwelling in his presence making God your dwelling place, setting your minds on things above and not on things below, orienting your life to Jesus. These are Jesus' parting words to his disciples, the thing he wants them to remember because he's preparing for them for him to leave. He's not gonna be physically with them. And he's saying, even when I'm gone, even when I'm no longer presently with you, I, you need to remain in me. How does that work? Well, I think one way it means to make God our dwelling place, you think about all the way back in Genesis, you think about the garden. And Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the cool of the morning. They dwelt with him in the garden. There was this familial knowing and loving and living together in his presence. And yet in their sin and rebellion, uh, darkness and evil enter into the world and they destroy this home that they have together. And ever since Genesis 3, we've been searching for this home. But not only have we been searching for this home, God has been at work bringing this home to us. God, in all of his sovereignty and, and providence, he's been bringing his dwelling place to us, you think about the tabernacle in the wilderness, the pillar of fire and smoke that we talked about in the Exodus. This is God bringing his presence, his dwelling place to us. You think about the promised land. You think about the temple, God building the structure where his spirit is going to reside with his people. And now Jesus in this passage, he's connecting all of those Old Testament things to himself. That now God has not only built structures to be his dwelling place, he's come in the form of a human in a, a form that we can understand him and he's dwelt with us. And not only has he dwelt with us, but this was a big reveal that Christ intends to make his dwelling place in us. 
So not only is he with us, but he is going to be in us. And this is why Jesus can say in the very next chapter that it's actually better for me to leave because I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you my spirit. I'm actually gonna make you into the temple, into the tabernacle. I'm bringing the promised land inside of you. How earth shattering was this for the, disciples, for the apostles to hear? That Christ is this fulfillment of scripture, the thing that everyone's been waiting for, and he's saying it's actually better for me to leave because I'm putting my spirit in you. One of the incredible ways that God showed up for us through our journey of rebuilding and a house fire is through his body, is through his people. That Jesus put on so many different hats in the weeks following the fire, he showed up in human form. Between our, our ministry with RUF and the ways they cared for us, for this church and the way you cared for us, our denomination as a whole from LA to New York City to Texas, God was present with us through his body because he's dwelling in you and you were bringing him to us. This is what Christ is talking about, that he is our home and he is making his home in us as well. That the eternal son of God who was and is and is to come, he promises to always be with you and in you. This is why for thousands of years, the Christian church has seen fellowship as a spiritual discipline. That being together, we're actually encountering the image of God in one another. And it's so important to him. You think about Jesus told his disciples that if you have something against your brother, that even if you're in a worship service like this, that you leave the worship service, go reconcile with your brother and then come back because I care so much about how you relate to one another because that's how I relate to you as well. Abiding in Christ means dwelling in his presence. It means him dwelling in us. It means us dwelling together. But abiding in Christ it also means practicing his words. It means to practice. One pastor in his letters, he calls it laboring to be brought near. That in Christ, we're invited into the community of the Trinity, and it invites and even requires our participation in it. Rankin Wilburn writes this in his book, Union for Christ. He says, sometimes a desire to express what is true about the grace of God, that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more or love you less, leads to the false assumption that there is nothing left for you to do. Your life with God is all of grace, period. But God's grace invites and even requires us to participate in it. God calls us to rest in Christ and at the same time to strive to enter the rest. One of my favorite authors puts it this way. He says, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. And I think this is 
oftentimes where I get confused and I think we as a people get confused about our relationship with God. Things get murky for us because we tend to misconstrue the fruit of abiding with the means of abiding. We misconstrue the fruit of abiding and the means of abiding. It is all too easy to believe that we stay connected to Jesus by bearing fruit ourselves. And yet that's not what Jesus says. He says the exact opposite. We do not stay connected to Jesus by bearing our own fruit. We bear fruit by staying connected to Jesus. Verse four, he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, 99% of the time when I'm talking to college students and I ask them about how their relationship with God is going, the first thing they talk about is whether or not they've read their Bible enough. And the second thing they talk about is how they should probably pray more. My answer is, yeah, you probably should. We all should. But those aren't the fruit of abiding. Those are the means of abiding. Our fruit is not measured by those means. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I've never gotten the answer to that question and had someone gauge their relationship with God on how they've grown in love or in joy or in peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the fruit. And it's an important distinction because if you're measuring yourself by how much you engage with the means, you'll never get to experience the real joy of actually abiding in Christ. John Ortberg says this in his book, Eternity is Now in Session. He says, the branch's job is not to produce fruit. You will never produce fruit by trying to produce fruit. You will never say and do the right thing by trying to say and do the right thing. You'll never obey the law by trying to obey the law. How do we do those things? We labor to be brought near to Christ. We stay connected to Jesus by staying connected to his word and his love and his commandments. He tells the disciples, you think about, this is, he's talking to his disciples. Peter is in this group. Even before Peter goes and denies him, Jesus says to all of his disciples, he said, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. I have already made you clean. I've already made you pure, ready to bear fruit. And he goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, remain in my love, keep my commandments. Jesus is very clear about what flows from the vine to the branches, right? The branches are never looking at themselves. The branches are always looking at the vine. They're staying connected to the vine and the nutrients that flows from the vine to the branches are his word, his love, and his commandments. You 
And yet sometimes Jesus' words can be frustrating for us. His words, his love, and his commandments are not meant to just transfer knowledge. They're meant to transform us. They're powerful and dynamic. They're planting seeds in our souls, and as they grow, they bear fruit. They actually bear fruit in our character. God promises us that his word will never come back void. That if we continue in lifelong obedience in one direction towards Christ, by praying his words and singing his words and and hearing his word preached and hearing his word given to us by friends and mentors and meditating on his words and eating and drinking his words at the Lord's table, It doesn't happen overnight, but a lifetime of that, over time, he bears fruit in our lives. Think about it this way. I've had five or six really significant pastors in my life, a few of them in RUF and a few in the local church. And here's what I know to be true is I don't remember 95% of the words that they've said, but I do know that in the years sitting under them that my life was radically transformed. Those words planted seeds in my heart as they preached from God's word. And it changed me, it changed my character, it changed my heart, it changed the way that I think about the world and about God and about myself. This is how Jesus' words and his love and his commandments, when we abide in them, when we make them our home, when we meditate on them, when we memorize them and repeat them to our children and process them with our peers, when we experience them in our lives, they sow seeds in our souls, they nestle into our thinking, they set our minds on things that are above and not on things below. Abiding in Christ means practicing his words. Finally, abiding in Christ means holding on to his promises. I think this is so pertinent to us personally, but all of us as we walk into a new year would be way better than a new year's resolution is a change in thinking and abiding in Christ and holding on to his promises. Hold on to his promises in 2023. One of his promises that we get here is that he will hold you up. He will hold you up. We get this, John paints this picture of a a vine dresser who tenderly cares and prunes and tends to his branches. That he takes away any of the growth that's on the vine that's not producing fruit so that the branches that are producing fruit will bear more fruit. And the branches that are producing fruit, he prunes them back so that they will bear fruit all the more. And you get in this, in this pruning and cleaning, there's this, this picture of a vine dresser who's removing and cleaning and making the branch pure, but also who's lifting up the vine so that it's not drooping on the ground, who's lifting up the vine so it can get oxygen, who's lifting up the vine to protect it from bacteria that's in the ground. 
and he prunes it back so it may bear fruit all the more. Bill Mounts, who is the New Testament chair who oversaw the translation for the ESV, he writes this on the passage. He says, we have two apple trees in our front yard. When the blossoms come out, I have a choice. I can either cut back about two thirds of the stems, holding the blossoms, uh, holding the blossoms and end up with some good Washington apples later in the summer, or I can be lazy and not prune them back. And the best I'm gonna get is a lot of small apples weighing down the branch that are only good for deer to eat. The same is true of vines. A vine will produce a lot of unproductive growth that must be cut off. If the, if the true branch, that must be cut off. God's pruning is his gracious way of directing the flow of spiritual energy in order that his plans for our lives may be realized. And what he's saying and what I think Jesus is saying to his disciples is that the circumstances we find ourselves in this life, the peaks that we experience and the valleys we must walk through, we're promised that not only is God in control of all things, but as we abide in him, that he intends to use all of the things in our lives to our benefit not just the good experiences we have, but even the traumatic ones. All of these things come into our lives that he might bear more fruit in us. You know, so often in the American evangelical church, we think of spiritual growth the way we think of financial or career success, right? It's up and to the right. We see it as a... Uh, this continually becoming better and better and better Christians, struggling less with lust and pride, struggling less with controlling our temper, struggling less with sin. And ultimately what we're saying is that spiritual growth is needing Jesus less. And yet what we find in scripture is that spiritual growth for us is actually growth downward. That even as we grow in putting the flesh to death, that we know God and see and taste his goodness and his holiness more and more and how far we are from that and how unworthy we are of his forgiveness and his grace. And in that process, what happens is that the cross of Christ becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and we become smaller and smaller and smaller. But I think one thing we have to think about as we enter into this spiritual growth as growth downward is counting the cost of what that means. Because growth downwards doesn't always feel good. The pruning doesn't always feel good. But what we know in this promise is that God is always at work. God is always at work. When you're full of anxiety and fear, God is at work. When you find yourself single and you so badly want to be married, God is at work. When you've been trying for years and years to have children and your family may not look like you thought it would, God is at work. When your comfort and security and worldly possessions are taken away from you, God is at work. Abiding in Jesus and his love looks like taking a step back 
and saying, I don't need to panic. I don't need to be in control. I don't need to manipulate the situation because I am loved by the God of the universe. That I belong to him. And if he provides for the birds and lilies of the field, how much more will he provide for me? That he enables you to trust his pruning hands, that he is producing fruit of a new creation. And it doesn't mean that we don't grieve the sadness and brokenness of loss or the evil in this world, but it does mean that we grieve, we don't grieve as those without hope. That we grieve with the hope in knowing that God is always at work when we don't feel like it, when we don't understand what he's doing. He's always at work. And lastly, his promise is that you will bear fruit. It's not an option. It's not a possibility. It's not something that might happen in the future. His promise is that if you abide in him, he will bear fruit in you. The fruit is consequential. Christ is the goal. In order for us to bear fruit, we cannot focus on bearing fruit. We must focus on Christ. You think about the gardener's job is not to grow fruit. The gardener's job is to till the soil, to sow the seeds, to tend to the plants, to water them. But the gardener has no control over the fruit her garden bears. So it is with us. The goal of following Jesus is not the fruit itself. The goal of following Jesus is nearness and connection and remaining and abiding and residing in Christ and his word and his love and his commandments. The fruit the spirit bears in our lives are a consequence to us abiding in him. One pastor says it like this. He says, I am with him to learn from him how to be like him. The fruit of the spirit is not the means of abiding. Your spiritual life isn't measured in how well or how often you engage with prayer and scripture reading and church attendance and partake of the sacraments. Your sanctification is measured by the fruit that comes from engaging in those things. It is a long obedience in the direction of Christ's likeness. And yes, it's easy to be discouraged, but what's so reassuring about this passage is that the fruit is not optional, it's promised. It's not our work, it's his. If you remain in my love, if you keep my commandments, my, my spirit dwells in you and my spirit will bear fruit in your life. Abiding in Christ means we will bear fruit. I wanna leave you with this short story uh, this is a story that Kelsey's counselor gave to her in, her, in our journey of rebuilding our lives, um, wondering what God's pruning in our life would mean for us. And this is a story she gave her. I had a plot of land that I loved and poured my heart and soul into. God came and bought it from me. The first thing he did was till it and then rooted up all the trees and pulled everything out. It felt like my heart was being ripped out of me. I was distraught. 
wondering what he was doing and why he would do something like this. And he told me, just wait, my child, trust me, it is going to be good. And then he set all of it on fire and completely killed everything. It made me feel dead. All that was left was dust. He then planted seeds and watered the desolate earth. He breathed life into the seedlings and they began to sprout. The foliage began to grow, producing beautiful flowers and trees bearing fruit. It became a flourishing garden and it was good. And as I looked on God's new creation, I wonder why I'd ever questioned his goodness in the first place. He was going to make something beautiful with the pain all along. I couldn't see it from my perspective, but he had something much better in mind than I could have ever known to ask for. So the invitation for you this morning and this week and in the new year is to abide in Christ's love and his word and his commandments and know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, he will bear much fruit in you. And all of these things work to make his joy complete in you, that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises.